What's going on, everybody? Uh, it's your boy, TD, back with another episode of Thoughts with TD, the Future OD podcast. And today I have yet another very special guest for you guys. Uh, I'm joined by Dr. Muriel Martinez. Uh, so just a little bit about her. Uh, she graduated from Southeastern Louisiana University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Organismal and Integrative Biology. Uh, with a double minor in chemistry and Italian. She then went on to obtain her Doctor of Optometry degree in pediatric residency from uh, UHCO. Uh, Dr. Martinez was awarded the 2014 Terrence N. Ingram Pediatric Optometry Residency Award by the American Optometric Foundation. And she's also a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. So currently she's an assistant clinical faculty at UHCO where her primary interest and focus is in pediatric primary care, specialty pediatric care, binocular vision, and brain injury eye exams. She serves as the director of the pediatric and binocular vision service, the pediatric residency director, as well as the course master to multiple pediatric and binocular vision courses. Her passion is teaching about eye care and special populations and pediatrics. And as course master, she's lectured extensively in all these areas at UHCO, as well as internationally with optometry schools in Mexico. Wow. Thank wow. You. Thank what, you. what a list. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited. This is amazing. Just spread the word about optometry and how awesome it is. Absolutely. That's def definitely one of my main goals with the podcast. But, um... I guess we could start kind of by going into that list and how did you, I guess, get started? What was your upbringing? So I was born and raised in Central America in Honduras. That's the name of the country. And I, just like any kid, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grow up. And I do remember my dad constantly saying, you're going to be a doctor because you have to be a doctor and like that's all that was in my head for forever I'm gonna be a doctor because that's what my dad said and one of the turning points in my life I was eight and I didn't want to eat my vegetables mm -hmm. I think people get tired of me saying the story but this is what brought me here you know yeah. I think this is one of the reasons and uh, I didn't want to eat my vegetables like most kids don't and um, in our country, we have the garbage truck that comes and grabs our trash and takes it to the dumpster, which is not far from the city. It's on the outskirts, but it's not far. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad telling me one week, this week we're gonna take the trash to the dumpster side so you can go see all the kids that don't have anything to eat and you don't wanna eat your food. And I was like, okay, whatever, sure. And so the day came and we went, we went in his truck Maybe it was like a 15 minute ride. It wasn't very far. And we started going up this hill and it was dirty. It was a dirt road. And so we were going like five miles an hour because we we're going uphill. Mm -hmm. And I started to see all these houses. They weren't really houses, they were just little shacks, you know, made out of whatever people could find bags, trash bags, whatever. And uh, as we kept getting closer and closer to the dumpster site, uh, this little boy, he must have been five or six. And he jumped on the bed of my dad's truck and started digging through our trash. And I remember looking at him in awe. And he found one of my brother's t-shirts that we had used to clean. Back then we would clean with this like it was pink oil it was like oil to clean furniture and wood and stuff mm -hmm. and my brother's t-shirt was a power rangers t-shirt so one sleeve was red one sleeve was blue and he had like a blue or red power ranger in the middle and the rest of the t-shirt was white but it was really brown and pink from like cleaning mm -hmm. when this kid saw this t-shirt he grabbed it and put it on wow and it looked so good on him he he was so dirty the little boy he was so dirty he must have not have bathed in days and he's putting on this shirt that looked clean actually even though it was like our dirt it was our trash mm -hmm. he kept digging for food and 
so then we dumped our our trash and I remember in that moment thinking I have to help kids someday I'm gonna help kids and I thought the only way I could do that was to become a doctor it's like this is how I'm gonna help kids and the best part of that experience was that my dad never said you see you see what I mean look you ungrateful little girl he just let me soak it all in all by myself mm-hmm. then we went back home and I did start eating my vegetables I still don't like them very much <laughs> but I did start eating those yeah. um, but that was definitely I think the first building block to my decision to becoming a doctor to help kids very fundamental in my that's the first thing I can remember the first time I made that decision that's really like a crazy experience to have at eight years old like and for that to have such a profound effect on you like that's that's amazing I remember that like if it was yesterday like it's so vivid in my head it's foundational Mm -hmm. to me so then after that I went to high school in Honduras I went to a private school this private school was backed by schools here in the United States. So it was an American school. Our teachers were all from Minnesota, up north, and they would go to Honduras and teach. And that's where I learned English. So I learned English and Spanish at the same time. Okay. Then I moved to the States when I was in 10th grade. Uh, I moved to New Orleans, first to New York, spent there three months. Then my mom was like, I think there are better schools in New Orleans. So we went from New Orleans, from New New York York to New New Orleans. Orleans. I guess she made the right choice uh, because that was August of 2001. September of 2001, 9-11 happened, and that was in New York. And so I remember exactly where I was in 10th grade. I was in my ROTC class, um, and that was very impactful for me as well. I had just moved to this country. It was like huge culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Not, I mean, people spoke Spanish, but I come from a Spanish country, you know, and then now I'm the minority. When I come from where we were the majority, that's where we all live there, right? Right. So, um, did my rest of high school in New Orleans, and then when I was getting ready to graduate, that was really hard for me because... I had come to the United States as a with a visiting visiting visa and then I had stayed here illegally so I was an illegal immigrant going to high school in New Orleans and this is something people don't really know about like I don't share this and I don't know why but I don't typically share it I do feel like there's people that might be listening that I want them to have hope you know, because that's all I had. Um, when I was getting ready to graduate school, um, I went to go talk to a few lawyers because I wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. And they all told me, there's no way. How are you going to go? You don't have a social security number. You're an illegal immigrant, you know. So I was very, very devastated. And so, man, I prayed so hard. Like, all I had was hope. And then at the church that I was going to, there was a, a service member, like a, another brother, that knew some people at Southeastern Louisiana University. In fact, he knew the international affairs person at Southeastern Louisiana University. And he contacted her and told her, I have this young girl, her grades are amazing, can you look into her, can we get her into the school? And they accepted me to Southeastern Louisiana University as an international student, even though I had no documentation. Yeah. Um, they gave me, it was called a, I forget what the number is. It's, it's the same as a Cougar Net ID. You know how we have an ID number? Mm-hmm. That was my number. That was the only legal number I had in the United States when I went to undergrad. Really, that's crazy. And so, because my grades were so good 
in high school, not only because I don't know if you know the difference between international student tuition is very similar to out of state tuition. It oh. was expensive. So the yeah. thing was great. I'm into accepted into college. Now how am I gonna pay for it? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm an international student, which is like even more expensive than out of state tuition. Mm-hmm. So then my grades were so good that they gave me a scholarship. And the scholarship was I was able to pay as a resident. Okay. Even then, it was a lot of a money. A lot of money, yeah. Right? But I was so blessed that my dad had for forever been saving, and he paid for my undergrad in full. Wow. So I was able to go to undergrad school paid for. So I know that earlier before we started our podcast, we were talking about how we take certain things for granted, right? Mm -hmm. I never took school for granted because I felt like it was the only safe place for me as an illegal immigrant. Mm -hmm. I wasn't roaming the streets. I wasn't going anywhere. I was not about to get like caught by the cops doing one bad thing, even throwing trash on the ground. Right. Because I'm not a legal resident of the United States. You know? right. mm-hmm. So I was always in my bestest, bestest behavior. And I thought, my dad is paying a lot of money right now. I'm going to get A's and B's. Mm-hmm. Now, my what opened doors for me was my GPA. My GPA opened doors that the law told me couldn't be opened. Couldn't be open. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So whenever I speak to students, either pops or high school, or they're trying to become someone, go to school, do this. I tell them that. It's like, you work hard on getting the best grades that you can because your GPA opens doors. So then, um, and you can interrupt at any moment, like if you, you know, you okay. want to ask anything else, you totally can. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was time to apply for optometry school. Right? Oh, geez. You know how expensive I, that is? Yeah. Right? I can, oh, man. I okay. remember from my process, like, wow. It's just expensive, right? Everything. You need to get a loan from the government to come to school, to optometry school. Mm-hmm. So I started working on my um, legal process, you know, getting all my documents in order, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a good... I'm a good, how do I say it, productive member of society, right? Like, I am going to bring to the United States. I'm not going to take from the United States. Like, so I applied to four different schools. My OET was not the best. It was like a 310. It was actually pretty low. Same. Mm -hmm. I actually had, like, the exact same score. I was very nervous about even getting an interview with that like did you apply to other schools too i did i applied to five total so i applied here i applied to nova in florida i applied to ohio state uh midwestern in chicago and then ico and four of them took me coincidentally all except ohio state wow my story is not as nice as that i applied to four None of them took me. None? Except U of H. Wow. And so, whenever I feel... I mean, to me it was a clear sign where I had to go. Mm-hmm. It was like the only school that took me. So yeah. my sign, my path is clear. Go on to Houston, yeah. Right? I didn't have to be like, okay, where where is the best... You know, it was just, that's the only school that took me. I was still not legal when I was accepted to To U of H. H. I came to orientation August, it was August 18th and 19th. I came to orientation on the 18th. I had to let them know that I couldn't be here on the 19th because I had an interview with immigration on the 19th. Because they give you, the way it works is they give you assigned days for interviews and parametrics. They take, you know, fingerprints and all this stuff. And you can't debate that date. Like, you either make yourself available or you make yourself available, right? Yeah. And so 
I told them I won't be able to be here for orientation day two. And so when I came here to the first day of orientation, I was meeting all these like nice people. They were all ready to start optometry school. And I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going to be here. Yeah. I really didn't even, because I, how am I going to pay for it? I didn't have money. I know my dad didn't have that kind of money. Yeah. You know. So anyway, on August 19th, I went to the immigration office and they were like, welcome to the United States. You know, you are now a legal resident. Wonderful. So it the time is crazy. Yeah, literally the timing of all this is insane. Like hearing this, like there were so many odds so stacked many. against you. So many, so many. Wow, this is insane. It was crazy. Just, just hearing this is crazy right now. Like, I was in orientation and I was meeting people and in my head I was like, I don't know if I'll ever, ever see you again. Wow. Be- I mean, I'm in orientation, you know, going going through with the motions and everything, but I was like, tomorrow, which was August 19th, they could just tell me, no, you've been denied. Yeah, that's, wow. Wow. So then, once I got accepted to the United States of America, mm-hmm. um, I was able to apply for student loans. Okay. So I'm sure they were probably like, shucks, we just like accepted your residency. Now you want money from us. Dang it. But I'm like, I'm trying to be a productive member of society here. Okay. So then I went through my undergrad, through optometry school, feeling so fortunate. Mm -hmm. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just not taking any day for granted. My schooling, my schooling has all been. I've worked so hard because I'm not the sharpest. Like, they're smarter people than I, you know? They're in my class. They were geniuses. Mm -hmm. And I was working so hard because I was like, it's my destiny to be here. Mm -hmm. Like, too many things, too many stars aligned on this journey for it to all go by the wayside. Like, it's... It's my destiny. I am meant to be here. What am I going to do? what do I do with it now mm-hmm. right and definitely not waste it so then I did optometry school it was hard you oh, know yeah because yeah. you're what third year right now <laughs> yeah, I'm third year right now I totally relate it's tough so hard it's, man blood literal blood sweat and tears literal yeah it's it's been crazy Students that apply when you're doing your application process and your interview process, because I've been able to be part of that this semester, interviewing the students coming in, Mm -hmm. I love seeing how fresh they are and how, like, bright they see their future, which they should, and all this, like, I can do it. I'm very honest with them. You can, but it's going to be hard. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not even, like, exaggerating. Yeah. It is hard. And it's harder, I think, for minorities because we come from, it all goes back to our basic education, like elementary school. Mm -hmm. We're just in underserved places. Mm -hmm. And so our education, to start off with, isn't the greatest. So when we get into higher education, it is hard Mm -hmm. because our foundation is weak. Exactly. Exactly. Literally, the playing field is not even. It's not equal. Mm-hmm. We're already starting below yeah. everybody else. And then we have to catch ourselves up. And not only catch up, but to do this, you've got to be up here. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why it's so hard. And then you couple that with the fact that you don't really see too many people that have a similar background or, like, look like you have the same like cultural like ways of life and just all that compounded together on top of just being a student Mm -hmm. and studying and it's crazy yeah you feel lonely to a certain extent oh most definitely that was really my struggle especially as like an out-of-state as well and so you know the cost and everything oh yeah i know the cost i know about the loans (laughs) i know about all of that it's yeah, there were some times I felt like I didn't know if I'd be able to do it just simply based off of how much it costs to be here. Like, my parents don't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. I was thankful and 
blessed enough to get scholarships through undergrad because undergrad honestly if I didn't have any financial assistance would have been a tall task because mm -hmm. I don't like my family doesn't come from money right and my parents have worked extremely hard for what they have and what they've been able to give me mm -hmm. and it's just like going back to what you said about like not taking things for granted and what we were talking about before like it's just so much in life like as I've gotten older that I now look at and it's like wow it's really crazy for me to be in this position and like it's crazy for me to have gotten here this far yeah the privilege like we can't waste it yeah it's and it's so important and a lot of people I feel like don't even understand that they have it right especially like coming up in America you know you fully understand it and more being from Honduras like just a very poor country I was very fortunate that my parents had worked hard for what we had over there mm -hmm. and then felt like there was a future over here mm -hmm. and I'll be honest I if I would have stayed in Honduras I wouldn't be where I am right now the U.S. has given me how do I explain this? I don't want to say they've given me because I have taken it, if that makes sense. I've yeah. worked for you've this. To, yeah, you've had to work for it. For I've sure. worked hard for a lot of this, everything. Um, but it provides an atmosphere, an ecosystem, if you want to think of it like that, where it allows you to grab. But in Honduras, I'm in an ecosystem that I can't grab. Where am I going to grab from? There's nothing, There's nothing to, really grab. to grab. There's nowhere to get to. And if you do get somewhere, you're taxed like crazy or like the drug lords are after you or the government is after you, which me, you know, the drugs and the government, same kind of people. Yeah. Right? So they're, here in the States, if you work hard, and you're financially smart, you will have something to show. Like, you will show it. Mm -hmm. In Honduras, you can be smart and you can be all you want, but you can only go so far. Mm. And so, I think you're right. What we were discussing prior to starting our interview was a lot of US born people, kids, right that go to college your own classmates uh, in high school they were like yeah I just wanna I don't want to go to school I don't want to do anything I just want to stay at home and play video games or whatever you know mm -hmm. to each their own right mm -hmm. but they had I would see them and they have this opportunity in front of them and I didn't yeah I, I couldn't go to college I was told multiple times I couldn't you know mm -hmm. um, so yeah it's we can't waste it we can't waste it yeah, especially yeah we can't waste it being minorities there's people looking up to us mm -hmm. when our patients come and see us they're gonna see someone that looks like them you know how much comfort that is to them so much some of the things that i've gotten told by patients are man your parents must be so proud like old hispanic ladies yeah, you know? I, I get that in clinic all the time See? when I have an older black person. It's yeah. always like, your parents must be so proud of you. I know. Like, yeah. Doesn't that make you feel so good? It, it does. You can't, you, it makes you want to keep working hard. It does. You can get through it. I promise you can. If I did it, you can do it. One more year. One more year, Dr. Martinez. One more year. I'll be at your graduation. So, you can do it. Because your parents deserve it. You deserve it. Your patients deserve to see someone that looks like them. Yes. You know how many prayers and blessings I get from little Hispanic ladies when they're like, oh, I was praying that someone that spoke Spanish would see me and look, here you are. Those moments make me feel like this is where I was supposed to be today. At this moment, at this hour, I was meant to be here. So all the steps that got me here, mm -hmm. all those troubles, all those sweat and tears and blood and everything you were talking about earlier, right? Like literally sweating bullets and like, taking a test, taking national boards. You already took part boards. one, right? Yeah, that's a whole nother beast. Oh my 
gosh. That, that is so hard. It was. That, that was, was so hard. That test is really hard. And there's two more. I know. I know. I'm not looking forward to those other two parts. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So, I have no doubt in my mind that when it's time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ready. Yeah, I know you are. It's very refreshing to know that you feel that way too because I feel like UH does a good job of preparing you all. Um, I try. I can speak for me in my class. I try really hard to prepare you all for not just taking boards, but for seeing your patients, for seeing kids in particular, because then, you know, I specialized in kids, right? Yeah. Um, once I, once I graduated optometry school, did my pediatric residency here, I went to work full-time at a private practice where I'm still at every other Saturday, mm-hmm. and I was part-time here at the school still. I never, ever really left the college because I like the students I like how smart you all are I like the questions you ask I'm constantly reading articles because I need to stay on top of it because you guys are so smart you know I gotta yeah. keep up and so um, one of the things that I think we were talking about earlier was uh, why did I stay here as faculty like what why am I still here mm-hmm. um, when I was interviewing some of the candidates that were coming to optometry school I was like I did this then I did optometry school at UVH and then my residency at UVH and I'm still working at UVH. I must like it a little bit, right? right? I must like it. Yeah. Um, U of H gave me my shot. Mm-hmm. Nobody else did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I got letters of denial throughout the weeks when I applied to optometry school. There came one letter. My scores weren't competitive enough. There came another letter, even though my GPA was 3.98. And then came another letter, no, you're not good enough for us, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, for sure, U of H. I wasn't even hopeful at all that U of H was going to. It's U of H. Like, U of H was certainly better than some of the other schools that I had applied to. I know. Yeah. And so when they when they even sent me a little, oh, you can come interview, I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I have to go. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. And so <laughs> yeah. then that whole thing happened. Yeah. So I feel like now being... U of H has seen something in me that I might not see in me. They've seen leadership when I have doubted myself. Mm-hmm. They've seen someone that can help the student body in different ways. Maybe I hadn't seen that. In, like Just different things you know and so I I love working here I love being with the students I love being downstairs in clinic I love the special needs population and that's how I feel like I'm giving back going all the way back to that little boy yeah, that put on that back. dirty shirt you know I give those eye exams to kids that can't speak that have down syndrome that have cerebral palsy that are minus seven that their parents are like, he's not gonna wear those glasses. He's got cerebral palsy and he doesn't like to wear anything on his face. But he's a minus seven, try it. Yeah, he needs it. And then to see that kid come back with his face up, looking, I did what I, that's what I wanted. That's, this is where I'm meant to be right now in this stage in life. Mm-hmm. So well, I'm just hoping through this that we can inspire some people, you know, that it is possible it is so hard you have to knock doors down you definitely do you definitely do things are not going to be given to you no not at all you've got to create your own opportunities really that's what it comes down to is how badly do you want it right and like me i i'll do whatever i have to do because at this point, I I feel like it's destiny for me too. I feel that connection when I'm in clinic and I'm helping people that might not have insurance, might not come from the best community, uh, but they really need it. And you know, when they when they tell me like, "Oh, your parents must be so proud," like there's just a feeling that yeah. I can't even really describe it. Yeah. It's like a feeling that I get inside. It's like yes. wow. And what really 
was so surreal for me was that my parents actually just came they came down to visit like nice. this past week nice so, after boards yeah after a nice boards. little surprise or gift yeah nice they gifted me with their presence yes, for sure because yes. it, it really is a gift mm-hmm. honestly the older i get the more mm-hmm. i want to spend time with my mm-hmm. family it's just so important to me yeah. now and i i feel like i didn't really see that as a kid i mean we don't who does right. as a kid right. but you know you grow up mm-hmm. you start to understand more about the sacrifices life and yeah sacrifices and what it took to get here and it's like wow so anyway they were here last week <laughs> nice. and what made it surreal How long were they here so they were here from wednesday and they left like saturday like early afternoon okay. um but they came in friday to fps and <gasps> did you I give was able to, yeah, oh my goodness that's amazing that's a great feeling back to back too and it was the whole time i was like wow this is like part of why i even signed up to be an optometrist. Mm-hmm. like this is really like what i set out to do and just having that in my head while physically doing it mm-hmm. it was like wow this is awesome yeah good job yeah, you should be you. proud of yourself thank you because it's not easy no it's not easy at all and even just to have that experience just still as a student it's just like i feel like that gave me an extra boost like a little bit of extra motivation like yeah, to keep okay going. I'm here now. Yeah. You already took part one. Can't go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't go back <laughs> at this point. I, I got one year left, so yeah, yeah, yeah. let's knock it out. And here in the walls of the building, we have all the graduation class pictures, you know? Mm-hmm. They all did it. They all went through what you're going through. So if they can do it, you can do it. That's one of the things that always kept me going also. Mm-hmm. that on top of feeling so fortunate to even be here right like i was like okay if other people have done it why can't i do it mm-hmm. it's just it's powerful it's very powerful <laughs> it is i guess kind of diving into the journey a little bit more um mm-hmm. how did you know that residency was the right decision for you because i know personally i'm kind of in that Mm-hmm. It's time to start thinking about mm-hmm. post grad. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I'm kind of thinking about residency right mm-hmm. now. Like, sure. personally, me, I like ocular disease. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like that would be the one for me if I were to do a residency. But I just don't know if that's the right decision for me yet. Mm-hmm. Right. I, how did you kind of sure navigate sure? That? So, because I'm a big time nerd, right? <laughs> I loved everything about the eye i still love everything about the eye. you know like i have a crush on the cornea but i'm in love with the retina mm-hmm. but i really like bv too like <laughs> my side person is bv you know like it's like yeah. i love the whole thing yeah so i wanted to do all of the residencies and i was you can't do that so i had to decide so this is how what i did to help me decide because we're all different and that's what is beautiful right mm-hmm. and so I interviewed at the time all of the residents on my own. Like I went to go talk to them. And the contact lens resident, I wanna start off by saying that all of the residencies are amazing and they all make you an exceptional doctor. They all give you a competitive edge because when you graduate, you're graduating with how many other 24 schools of optometry, how many other students, they look just like you. If you don't want the job, that's fine. Someone else will take it next, right? But having a residency elevates you, right? And so um, even when it comes down to negotiating salary, you have a residency. It gives you confidence. One year of residency is equivalent to five years out in private practice. So when you're done with your residency, your classmates are still going to have to catch up four more years to whatever it is that you have just mastered, Mm -hmm. right? Or, Or at least say master because you're always learning right but you've gotten so good at it yeah so i interviewed all of them and the contact lens resident was the first one i interviewed and she was like i've been here three months i know every single lens now i just have to write out the rest of the year like she wasn't super happy oh okay she wasn't she didn't feel 
as challenged, I guess. She was like, I already know everything. And it only took three months. I'm like, okay, well, that's not, not the, the funnest, like, yeah. interview for me, right? Yeah. And every resident's different. You should still go talk to them. I interviewed the family practice one. She was happy with what she was doing. Um, I interviewed the brain injury one, and she was also very fulfilled. And I interviewed the disease one. The disease one told me, especially because you have a particular interest, because I was in between disease and peds. That was me. Do I do disease or do I do peds? I wanted to do disease because I don't want to miss anything ever, right, Mm -hmm. on my patient. I want to be able to catch it and then send them to where they need to go. Right. And then peds because it was fun for me. And so, but I didn't feel like that was important because I've never been a person that puts fun first. I haven't had the luxury to put fun first. Yeah. I've, we've struggled, you know, to even put the basics, you know, as like going to college, mm-hmm. right? So I talked to the disease person and she was like, I love what I do. It's amazing. The only thing I don't like, she said, was I refer everything out. I can't, I can't treat anything myself. They can't pink eye and, and laws are changing. So that's also evolving and that was like 10 years ago right that i did my residency so things are different now and so someone told me and i cannot remember who it was they told me you don't want to do a residency because you're scared you need to do something that you enjoy getting up every day and going to do if not you're going to be miserable and i took that to heart and i said for the first time i'm going to be selfish and I'm going to do peds because I think it's fun, mm-hmm. you know? And I had classmates and friends tell me on Fridays, you're very happy on Fridays. I'm like, well, it's Friday, you know? Like, I don't have to go to school the next day. Right. And then they were like, no, it's different than the rest of the week. Like, really different. What happens on Fridays for you? I'm like, I have peds mm-hmm. clinic. Mm-hmm. I'm in specialty peds. And I realized how natural things came out when I was with children. But I've always been with children. I'm the oldest grandkid of, like, I don't know how many. It's a bunch of us, 20. So I've (laughs) had to, like, babysit everyone. Potty train, like, three of them by myself. So, like, I have a lot of experience with kids. Mm -hmm. And I just, I like them a lot. They're fun. They're so innocent, so honest, you know? So I don't know how to describe them. They're so honest. (laughs) They're so honest with you. Like, no, that shirt is ugly. You know, they're not trying to be mean. You ask them or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up doing the pediatrics disease, the pediatrics residency. With that said, I picked to do at U of H because they have a very heavy special needs population. Mm. And that has always been an area of interest to me. I've always loved that population. I've always wanted them to feel included in things mm-hmm. and the fact that I could provide eye care for them was just a culminating like thing for me it was like the ultimate goal so I would observe the peds resident and she would see patients in stretchers mm. and I was like you can give an eye exam to someone on a stretcher yeah as long as they keep their eyes open you can do anything you can give them the whole entire exam it's when they close their eyes that you can't. That you can't yeah. And if they fall asleep, you can still ret them. You just open their lid and ret. That's crazy. So you could do so many things with a patient that's not able to do things during an eye exam. Mm-hmm. Just everything turns into an objective exam, and that's fine. You can get it done. It's harder, but you can get it done. And it's so rewarding at the end. So I knew what I was getting. I applied here. They knew what kind of candidate they were getting they knew my background they knew my ethics they knew how hard i worked you know so they were like yeah we want her right Mm -hmm. so that's how i ended up here as a resident that's how i decided so my advice would be to go interview the residents ask them how they really feel about the residency and that's just here in u of h there's other residencies throughout the country right Mm -hmm. so whatever it is that you're truly wanting to do do some research there's got to be somewhere that can give you that a residency site that can give you what you want what will make you fulfilled okay a little self-searching yeah yeah it is a very hard choice it's just as hard as deciding to go to optometry school or not is how i felt 
because they will you're going to completely change your life with this decision if i would have done a disease residency i would not be here yeah very true i would be at an omd practice with an ophthalmologist more than likely i know it yeah so that decision has made me led me here where i am right now so the decision is life-changing not to put any pressure or anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. but yeah, the pressure is on. <laughs> Just things to think about mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. On top of trying to pass boards and all your tests yeah, and exams. I get it, man. It's hard. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to do at once, but I mean, like we said, we're already here. Mm-hmm. We're three years in at this point. Got to finish strong. Yeah. You can do it, man. I, I know you can. Thank you. I know you can't. It's, it's good to hear that. Yeah. But I guess kind of, let's see, are we doing on time? Oh, we're good. Yeah, okay. we're doing good. Um, I guess kind of transitioning now to like the future, mm-hmm. how do you see us being able to open more doors for people that are coming from backgrounds where maybe they don't have access to the best education or access to financial resources and, and things of that nature because you know we talk about how hard it's been especially for you and I to get here and everybody's journey is unique but do you see there being like something in the future that we can I guess kind of build almost like a pipeline or something or a, a resource that we can get out there to even spread the word about optometry because I feel like a lot of people that are coming from these areas don't even know what optometry is Mm -hmm. or that it Mm -hmm. can be an option for them to pursue in their lives Mm -hmm. because they haven't seen someone that looks Mm -hmm. like them Mm -hmm. doing it so Mm -hmm. how do you think we can and I mean like this is obviously Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a a question that we won't have the exact answer to most likely Mm -hmm. but like how do you see that we can kind of make things better and build for the future yes from a financial standpoint scholarships are pretty much what we there's for example here in the college you can give money to like an endowment like a a fund Mm -hmm. where you reach a certain amount and you can start to give scholarships to whomever you want since you gave this money to the college and so that's been in place the thing is to get people to give money, right? Oh, yeah. That's the hard part. Yeah. Now, because your, your question had multiple parts too, and I want to make sure I hit all of them. So that was the financial one. There's always this government, right? They're going to give you money yeah. at like a 10% interest or whatever it is now, right? Which yeah. is really high. Something crazy. Um, but scholarships help a lot of minorities too. Um, something else that you touched upon was... Um, is there something already in place, maybe, to help minorities? Um, not from the financial standpoint, but just like a pipeline is what you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that here in U of H, because I sit in meetings where we discuss things, we like diversity. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of diversity at U of H. There is, and that really was kind of a strong suit for me in my decision about U of H mm-hmm. just cause like the city itself is isn't it the most diverse in America? I'm pretty sure Number I could one? I would bet on that yes I'd, I'd probably <laughs> I would bet money on that. it too <laughs> yeah and, there's all kinds of people here yeah and you see it just in day to day and so here at UHCO it's on purpose mm-hmm. it's on purpose we want people in the OSS is that what it's called now? The Office of Student Services. I think so. Oh, it was called OOR. Like I remember yeah. it was OOR I when know. I first got I here. Know. But it, it changes it's, names. Yeah. We love them. I love everyone in there. They try really hard to have a diverse population in there to receive you guys, mm-hmm. so you feel welcome, and that's on purpose, right? Um, so that's just from that, and so when we admit students we also look for diversity we want there to be diversity with among our students and then that goes through to diverse doctors 
But the following steps really would be diverse fellows, too, of the American Academy of Optometry. That would be amazing. Diverse faculty members, that would be amazing, too. So, um, and so I feel like it's important to think about how you want to affect the those that are coming after you, right? So right now I'm in a position where I am in U of H, this building, the only faculty that speaks fluent Spanish. How is that possible? In a city like Houston? In UHCO, this building. The, you're the only one that speaks fluent Spanish. Wow, that's insane. There's another doctor that's at the heights, but that's at the heights. Yeah, and that's fourth year when you rotate you can, you'll get to interact with them right I'll actually be there but here in this building mm-hmm. I'm the only one that speaks fluent Spanish and that doesn't make sense to me but but it goes back to how hard it is for us yeah yeah Meaning school right. is hard school is really hard school was all so hard I don't want to do a residency it was already hard I'm trying to get out I'm just glad I survived yeah right and so as minorities, although there are lots of minorities here, um, Hispanic female? I mean, we're at the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A Hispanic female professional faculty at the University of College of Optometry? Yes. Yeah, it's not many of us, right? Yeah. But it's been so hard, right? And a lot of times, I have to say, I didn't see myself with the qualities of a leader to be where I am. I never would have dreamt it. But I feel like there's other people looking from the outside in that do see something, right? And that's how I've been able to get where I am right now, being in a position of being the director of the PED service. You know, the Peds residency. I never would have dreamt of that ever because I f- feel like I'm not qualified enough because I've always had to be working so hard compared to other people. We talked about that, right? Yeah. We've always felt underqualified to begin with mm-hmm. because we're at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So then we don't feel qualified to do things like what I am doing right now to sit in positions where I've sat in tables with other people where I've sat mm-hmm. and so I will say that's why U of H is so dear to my heart is that they have seen in me things that I haven't and I appreciate that mm-hmm. you know with that said because I know I'm trying to answer your questions about <laughs> how are we going to get these minorities here right or how can we help these people here what kind of pipelines Mm-hmm. Having someone like myself, like yourself, interview these incoming students, it is a type of like inspiration to them. Yeah. I can do it if she did it. I can do it if he did it. Yeah. So you do impact people in, the, in a good way, right? To channel them into U of H or to optometry school. The other thing I was going to mention was to wrap up that question, there is already a website in place. It's called futureidoc.org mm. that is played in the undergrads. There's videos and all of the uh, recruiters, you know, like Lyle and them, they go and they play videos to pops, to different pops in different universities. Mm-hmm. And this website, futureidoc.org, dot org features five different doctors and these five different doctors are all minorities oh we love to see it this is by ASCO the associations and schools of colleges of optometry yeah and so one of them his name is Dr. Lewis he's so dear to my heart he graduated from ICO and he's a DJ on the side wait a minute I remember seeing this. Uh-huh. I remember seeing this. Uh-huh. 
I was a dancer in there. You remember it. that? I remember you remember? It. Yeah. yeah. I am the salsa dancer in there. Yeah, that's crazy. And I am an academic, so I'm a teacher, right? There's another lady. Um, she has a farm. A farm. Now they're they just added two more during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. One of them, uh, he is Indian. That's his background. And he plays soccer, like indoor soccer. Oh, okay. And then uh, the other one, she is Korean, I believe. And she does Taekwondo. Mm. So they feature these doctors in this website to encourage specifically the target audience is undergrad students that are like, what do I want to do still? Do I want to be a dentist? Do I want to be an optometrist? Do I want to be a medical doctor? Do I want to be a nurse? These smart students, right? Or these students that are looking for what do I want in my future? They show them this and they're like, oh, optometry is cool. Because it is. Yeah. Okay, like we're not like sugarcoating anything. It's hard, but it is cool. Mm -hmm. It is awesome. It's rewarding. And you're helping others. And at the same time, you can have a life. So that's how they, they, so that's already in place for those people that don't even know about optometry. Like, how can we get the word out? Because you were like, how do we tell these minorities that optometry exists and that it's a career and that you can be impactful and that you can be serving your population, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways. That's why that came about, that particular website. So it's, it's there. It's available. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's just mm-hmm. awesome. I'm, I'm going to have to get on there. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to get on there in the future. You should. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to you about that because mm-hmm. I need it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Probably, I guess we'll probably call it. Um. Well, Dr. Martinez, mm-hmm. thank you so much for volunteering your time today. I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot in the last hour. <laughs> Um, it's been great though, honestly, and I love having these conversations. I love talking about just how to better our society. You know, how do we become more progressive? And this is the type of stuff I live for right mm-hmm. here. So, once again, thank you yeah. so much for coming on. Thank you for speaking to my audience. I thank you guys mm-hmm. for listening and tuning in. I truly wouldn't be here without y'all's support. Um, so this has been another episode of thoughts with td the future od um i hope you guys uh, enjoyed this one y'all take care we'll see you next time